Try to get something that you can write with and take notes. Uh, there may not be a lot of room on, on just what we passed out as far as notes, but I really want people to, to be able to get this information. So however you need to maybe jot some things down. But this is something that really changed my life, and so I want to take time with it and make sure that we can get this to everybody and, and, and get the information thoroughly out there. I'm going to open with prayer. So just agree with me, Lord, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you for an open heaven, your glory in this place, Holy Spirit, as you've come to anoint and empower. And even now, Lord, I thank you for speaking through me everything that needs to be said. Lord, nothing will um, be missed or, or not said that should have been or anything like that. But Lord, let it be thorough tonight that everything will be covered thoroughly in every life that needs to be. And Lord, that your Holy Spirit move upon everyone listening or watching to give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus that we're good soil, even now, and that you speak to me, your living seeds are true, sown into that good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. And we thank you, the winds of your spirit will carry this out among the nations, it'll get where it's supposed to. And the Bible says the word will not return void, but accomplish that which you sent it forth to accomplish. And we take authority as a church in anything that would try to hinder this, in any way, we command it to be bound in Jesus' name and back off. But, Lord, we thank you. The word will go out in power. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right. So everybody say after me, my life, a dwelling place for God. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. So the Bible says, my house will be a house of prayer. So please give me your best ear tonight about this because this is probably one of the more important things I've ever preached, not because I'm preaching, but because of the content. So God's house is where he dwells. Okay, so this first part isn't in those notes we passed out to you. Just give me your best ear about this, but my house will be a house of prayer. So if you want your life to be a place that God dwells, then you need to make your life a place of prayer because God dwells where there's prayer. So if you want your church to be a place where God dwells, you need to make your church a house of prayer. So that's Matthew twenty-one thirteen. My house will be a house of prayer. So number one, that's where God dwells. And if you look at even the tabernacle of Moses, there was constantly going on worship and prayer just every day, every morning, every evening. Uh, the priest would pray, and because of that, there was a tabernacle glory of the Lord that was there. All right, so also, as everybody, please hear what I'm saying here. Look this way, give me your best ear, because I don't want anybody to miss anything tonight. Also, Jer uh, Matthew thirteen fifty two. So the first part is the house of prayer. The second is this. Jesus said to them, therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings out of his treasure things new and old. So this is really interesting to me because there, there were um, the Pharisees were just different tribes, like Paul was from the tribe of Benjamin, if I remember. But the Sadducees were descendants of Aaron. They were the priesthood and the Levites. And so they were those that were in that what's called the Kohanim. 
but there was a group called the Essenes, and they were the scribes. We don't know a whole lot about them, but we do know that they were extremely devout and that they were meticulous in transcribing, because this was way back when you had to do everything by hand. They, they, would, they would sit there and transcribe the Torah onto a scroll letter by letter. And so they had to really know the Word of God, and they had to have special training. And so when you read in the Bible about the scribes and the Pharisees, the scribes are the Essenes. And as far as we know historically, they were the ones that had all these writings, and they, they put them on scrolls and put them into these uh, clay pots. And then years, many years later, after the Romans killed all of them, we found some of their stuff in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Isn't that awesome? It was written by them. So Jesus was saying about that group of people, these were people that, that were very studious. They meticulously studied the Word of God. They knew the Word. And he said that these that, that knew what was, and they, they were uh, discipled in that, they were now, he was saying, when they get in on what God's doing today, because Jesus came, when they become a disciple of the kingdom, they come into Christ's ministry. He said they will have a real depth to them because they know the old and the new. This is important where I'm going. And then Jeremiah 6.16. This is what the Lord says. Stand in the crossroads and look. I mean, he knows that you can look up on a hill and you can see intersecting roads. And he's saying, look at these crossroads and he said, ask for the ancient path. That's interesting. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you'll find rest for your soul. Listen, there's a lot of different paths out there. And I'm going, I'm going somewhere with this, so I want everybody to follow me. All right, so something that I taught a little while back on historic revivals. We did a long series on the historic revivals. And I started... Uh, probably with the Reformation, I remember right. But listen, in the days of Wesley and, and, and it was um, Edwards and these guys, Brainerd, remember there was this first great awakening that came. And it was kind of like the outer court. I mean, it was the gospel and people were getting saved, water baptized, the blood and water is the outer court. And then as that revival is the mid-1700s, when that began to wane, God resurged that again in the late 1700s with Red River into the Cane Ridge Revival. Then as it began to wane again, it, it came back in, in the days of Finney, 1830s, and then it waned and came back up in 1857 through 59 through Jeremiah Lempier. But that was like an outer court. It would have an ebb and a flow. But then God added to that and started doing a new thing. And we, we talked about it um, in the early 1900s in Topeka, Kansas with uh, Parham and Stone's Folly. And they had the baptism in the Holy Ghost, remember? And, of course, that moved its way into what we know as the Azusa Street Revival. And I'm oversimplifying this and really condensing something that there's a lot more to it. But God took the body of Christ from the outer court to the holy place. And we began to move into another dimension now where they understood more clearly the fivefold ministry. They understood the gifts of the Spirit. And there began to be real doctrine that formulated about the baptism and the Holy Spirit in tongues. And, and they really moved into another realm. And out of that, we see ministries birth like John G. Lake's ministry. And and F.F. Bosworth had a tremendous ministry that, that carried this move of God. And, and the uh, Jeffrey brothers in England. And then, of course, as it began to wane, what happened? The revival of the 40s and 50s. And then it began to wane a little bit more. And then you had the 60s. And then you had the 70s. And into the 80s. Different ebb and flow 
Same move of God, but then when we moved into the 90s, we started moving into the Holy of Holies. And this was the great last day of revival that began. And we're definitely in a time where it's waned. But how many knows God's about to resurge it again? So we went from the outer court to the holy place, and then we moved into the Holy of Holies. And there's been an ebb and a flow in every revival. But listen to what I'm saying. God didn't tear tear it to pieces and, and discard something. He built on it. So he went from what he was doing and added to it to a new thing and increased it, added to it. Is this making sense? I'm showing you something. So in the same way, I'm going to give you something tonight just to think about. But it began with Abraham, and I can't go into any more than what I'm just going to cover tonight because I've got to get to prayer here in a moment. But it began with Abraham. What do you think of when you think of Abraham? Number one, that covenant that God cut with him. In the ancient culture, they would cut an animal in half, walk like a figure eight through the bloody soil. Two people joined covenant together. They exchanged oaths. They, explained, they exchanged gifts. It was a very solemn covenant. Their enemies became your enemies. Your enemies became their enemies. It was a lifelong commitment, very serious. I've taught a lot on this, so I've got to just move on. But when you think of Abraham, you think of a man that God cut covenant with. And then what did Abraham do? He lived by faith, but he built altars where he would pray. And God would reveal to him aspects of his name. For example, Jehovah Jireh came when he built an altar there around Mount Moriah to offer Isaac. It's called the Akedah. And in that time that, that God provided the ram in the thicket. And so Jehovah Jireh means the one who sees and provides. Okay. Anyway, that's what Abraham. So Abraham is like when you go to the tabernacle the very first thing that you encounter is there's a gate. The entire tabernacle has a big white fence, but the gate in the east was multicolored, and there was only one way in, and you had to go through that gate. You know what that gate represents? The gospel. You can't come through all these other ways. You've got to go through the gospel, and that's kind of what God was revealing. The Bible says about Abraham, he saw my day, Jesus said. Did y'all know that? Jesus said, Abraham saw my day. And probably when he offered Isaac. And then he said about Abraham, the Bible says in Hebrews, he was looking for a city whose maker and builder was God. But Abraham represents like basically that that first stage that you enter into a covenant, that you move, you hear the gospel and accept the gospel. That's what it represents with where I'm going tonight. So the next phase as God built on that was in the days of Moses, that God created a priesthood under Aaron and Moses oversaw everything, and Moses represents like the outer court. And in the outer court, you had the sacrificial system and the five major offerings. You don't read a lot about the children of Israel under Moses really having radical praise and worship very much because their hearts weren't really right. And they didn't even take the time. This is the showing how wicked this generation was. They missed the promised land. They didn't even take the time to obey the simplest of instructions like circumcising their sons while they were in the wilderness. Joshua, one guy, had to do all of that because of, of the rebellion and unfaithfulness of the households that died in the wilderness. That just shows you what you, God was dealing with. But Moses, everything about Moses was about the, the fact of that, those offerings, people would bring the burnt offering, they would bring the peace offering, they would bring 
the, all those five major offerings, it had to do with sin being atoned. And it also had to do with the washings. Remember the labor, but they had to wash. They had to be clean. And so Moses was about holiness. And the Bible says, without holiness, no man will see the Lord. And then we move from Moses' day later to David. What do you think of when you think of David? You think of what? Praise and worship, don't you? He was a great warrior, and there's a lot of things, but David did not take away from Moses' ministry. As a matter of fact, when David was moving the ark into Jerusalem, every six paces, he shed blood, and he honored the, the blood sacrifices, okay? But David kind of built on that, and he brought the tabernacle uh, read the ark into Jerusalem and built his own tabernacle where he instituted 24-7 praise and worship and prayer. David was a man of worship. Many of the Psalms we read was his worship and his poems that he wrote. So you move from the outer court of Moses, which had to do with the holiness and the fear of God, and you move now into the holy place where David understood praise and worship. Then you move into the days of Solomon. And for those that want to study this out a little more and go deep in your own studies, the outer court in this context is like Passover, the covenant. And then you move into the holy place, which is like Pentecost. And then you move into the holy of holies, which has to do with tabernacles. But Solomon, in the days of Solomon, he honored what Moses was doing back in the day he honored that in fact the bible says that solomon when he built the temple and he dedicated it he offered so many offerings before god they lost count they said the blood of the offerings was running through the streets he honored moses and then he honored his father david because he had all these people that were worshiping and praying that that were associated with this temple ministry and he had them come in and worship and pray But listen, because he honored what was, and he was also on the cutting edge of what God was doing then. Listen, building that temple and doing what Solomon was doing in that time, he was on the cutting edge of what God was doing then. But he also was reverencing what was, what Moses walked in, what his father David walked in. And you know what happened when you brought the old and the new together? The glory of God came so strong that the Bible says the priest could not stand to minister. Now, let me tell you something. There are some that may think today that we can uh, do certain things to build ministries and all that. Okay. But if you're going to get away, listen, back years ago, even when I was growing up, there was an understanding of holiness and the fear of God. There was an understanding for those of us that grew up in church years ago that people had a healthy fear of God. They understood to live right. They understood to stay away from certain ungodly substances, to stay away from sexual immorality. There was just things of the world, things that were that the Bible was against, and people knew just to stay away from it. Okay, And the churches understood that. They understood holiness. And I'm not just talking about Pentecostal either. But back, let's just look at it from our day. Back in the days of Azusa, there was such a message of being deeply sanctified unto God, being holy, being pure, and God really cleaning up your life and setting you free and just consecrating you unto him. And there was an understanding of the importance of that because then God would fill and baptize you in the Holy Ghost and with fire and he would empower you. 
And, and Azusa honored their roots because in some ways they came out of the holiness movement for those that have studied this. There was a whole movement back then of holiness. And holiness now combined together with Pentecost. And it was a beautiful union. Because you can't really have the power of God without understanding holiness. But see, nowadays it seems that many want to get away from holiness. They don't want to preach repentance. They don't want to preach the fear of God. They don't want anybody convicted of their sin. And they're trying to forsake that and then just get on something cutting edge or whatever. But you'll never see what Solomon saw. You'll never see the glory of the Lord really coming in and filling the house where the priest can't stand to minister if you're going to get away from holiness. Amen? I'll just amen myself because I know this is good. So there is an understanding of what was, what God was doing and reverencing that. And it's like Jesus said about the scribe. It says, when that scribe who knew what was, when he becomes a disciple, he brings treasures out of both the old and the new. That you understand that I'm on the cutting edge of what God's doing today in this generation, okay? I'm on the cutting edge of that, but at the same time, I understand my heritage, and I'm not going to get away from holiness and the fear of God. And so there's a pattern also to come into prayer. And this is where I was going with this, because God's always building. In the same way, when you enter into prayer, there's going to be kind of a building, if you will, in your prayer time. And your prayer time personally can be awesome, powerful. So this is a, a, I'm not really talking about corporate prayer. I'm talking about individualized prayer tonight. But there's a pattern. Whenever the priest on the Day of Atonement called Yom Kippur, when he would go into, to go into the Holy of Holies once a year, he would have to really wash. There was a, what's called a mikveh. He had watery immerse, consecrate himself. He had to offer up a, a bull for his sins, the blood. He had to make sure he was right. But what he would do is he would take the blood and he would bring it before the Lord and sprinkle the blood. And it was the blood that gave him access. And then also in the Holy of Holies, a lot of people don't realize this, but he took what's called a censer, which was like a frying pan probably with a coal on it. And he burned incense and he would put that in the Holy of Holies. So the Holy of Holies was filled with incense. And so incense represents praise and worship, prayer and intercession. So the pattern to come into the glory is through the blood and its worship. That's just the pattern. It's like tonight, this is something God gave me personally a long time ago. And so from the very beginning, I've always taken time at the beginning of service for those that want to join in to take Holy Communion together. And that's coming through the blood. That's reverencing the blood. And then once we come up under the blood, then we enter into praise and worship. And guess what? The same pattern, the glory comes in. Now, you can have this in your own personal prayer life, but how many, you would honestly say, Pastor, I want to have a really powerful prayer life because we need that. You're going to need that. And there's only so far, and I say this in love, especially for the younger generation, but there's only so far that you're going to be able to ride uh, people's prayer lives. You're going to have to have your own. And you're only going to be able to ride so much in the church uh, you know, the church only comes together a couple times a week. You, the, you know, you live your life every day. You're going to have to have something between you and God whenever you start going through some stuff. There's times that you're going to have to hear from God for yourself. There's times like David, whenever he lost everything at Ziklag, you're going to have to find your strength in God. And it's something between you and him. 
You're not going to be able to ride other people's coattails all the time. And so this is the pattern. Jesus taught us. They asked him. They saw Jesus go from place of prayer to place of prayer. They saw an open heaven over him. Everywhere he went, they knew they could see it. They knew that Jesus was in tune with the Father. And Jesus said, what I see the Father doing, I do. What I hear him speaking, I speak. And they saw Jesus. It was, I'm sure that they noticed it was connected to his prayer life and his communion with the Father. And they asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. I'm sure that they knew that that was the key to, to Jesus' ministry was his co- connection with the Father and his prayer life and walking in that. And they wanted to know how to pray. And so Jesus taught him in Matthew 6, 5 through 15, how to pray. Number one, if y'all can take time to do this, listen, some people say when I talk about praying like an hour a day, are you kidding me? That's easy. It, it's actually, if you go through this, it's hard to, to not pray more than an hour a day. And so, I, you know, I have to set it apart a lot more than just an hour because there's a lot to pray about. But prayer can be enjoyable. Whenever I first started learning how to pray, it was boring because I didn't know how to pray. But once you learn how to pray, it's awesome. And you look forward to it. All right, so number one, Jesus taught them, this is how you pray, our Father who's in heaven. So how are we children of God? How is God our Father? Because of the blood. So the first thing you need to learn is, is that we come in Jesus' name and through his blood. Put an emphasis on the blood. You're not coming in your righteousness. You're not working up anything. You're resting in the blood of Jesus to give you access to God. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by what? The blood of Jesus. By a new and living way which he opened for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart full of assurance of faith having a heart sprinkled to cleanse them from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So that's how you enter is in Jesus' name and through his blood. You're not going to be able to enter any other way because that is like the gate. You see, I'm talking about the pattern I've already shown you like Abraham. What do you think of when you think of Abraham? Blood covenant. This is the gospel. This is the cross. This is us coming through that to God. Now let me tell you something. We've got to get some confidence about what Jesus has done for us. It's not based on our works. It's not based on our human righteousness. It's based on the blood of Jesus. Okay, so your access is through the blood. So I always take some time coming through the blood and thanking God for the blood. And this is a wonderful time if you take communion, that you take the Lord's Supper in your own personal prayer time. But there's different times you can take it through this pattern but this is a good time to do it and then you know here you can picture the cross you can acknowledge coming through the blood and understand that you're of the seed of abraham and then the faith confession i love this that you can say this every day for you and your family is by the blood of jesus i am justified i am sanctified as holy and i am the righteousness of god in christ jesus therefore satan has nothing in me Nothing over me, no claim to my life, no access or power toward me, and no accusation can stand up against me because I am a son of Abraham, a child of blood covenant, and the oath and blessings given to Abraham are my inheritance. Isn't that awesome? So this is how you come is through the blood with confidence. Confidence not in yourself, but in the finished work of the cross.
And the Bible says we can come with confidence. The King James says boldness, but really confidence is a better word. We can come with confidence before the throne of grace to receive help in time of need. So this is how we come with confidence through the blood. Then number two, after you take time reverencing the blood, coming through the blood, all of that I just mentioned, the next thing you're going to move into is the second phase, hallowed be your name. You know, this has to do with worship. And so this is the incense, just like the outer court had to do with Moses, and then you went in the holy place with David. What did David represent against? Again, rather, incense, worship. And the Bible says in Psalm 141, verse 1, Lord, I cry unto you, make haste to me, give ear to my voice when I cry unto you. Let my prayer be beset before you as incense and lifting up of my hands as an evening sacrifice. So David understood this. Some things about hallowing the name of God, there is something so powerful in that. Abraham really learned different names of God and then different names of God were revealed in Scripture, but his name has to do with his character. And hallowing God's name is the exact opposite of using his name in vain. Have you ever thought about that? And so in your time of worship and prayer, isn't it powerful to take a moment to hallow the name of God? God dealt with sin as Jehovah Tzikainu, our righteousness, and Jehovah Makadesh, our sanctification. He dealt with the fact that his presence would be with us. Jehovah Shalom, our peace, and Jehovah Shammah, his presence. He dealt with health and healing as Jehovah Rapha, our healer. He dealt with prosperity, our needs being met with Jehovah Jireh, the one who sees the need and provides. And then he dealt with supernatural protection as Jehovah Nisi, our banner, and Rohi, our shepherd. And so there's something about hallowing God's name, but also worship. As you begin to sing and worship before the Lord, worshiping in spirit, you can always put on some worship and worship, but it is so powerful. The blood and the worship will bring you into the presence of God. And as the Holy Spirit begins to move, and if you ever feel hindered, take a moment to submit your life unto God and resist the devil. Bind the enemy. Anything trying to hinder you from prayer, believe me, sometimes that's there. You can say out loud, in Jesus' name, I bind every satanic spirit that's trying to resist my prayer life right now. You will leave me in Jesus' name. Get out of here and kick them out. And then as that clears, things will become much more easy. But as the Holy Spirit begins to move, you begin to enter into the presence of God. Now there's the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, God the Father is in heaven on his throne. Jesus at his right hand, ever living to make intercession for us. The person that is with us, that is in us and with us is the Holy Spirit. And we need him and we need to get to know him. I want to know the Holy Spirit's presence. I want to know his power and I want to know his voice and I want to know when he's leading. And the only way we're going to really truly know that is by spending time with him. And as you come through the blood and you begin to worship, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit will come and spend time. I know he dwells in us, but there is a fellowship of the Holy Spirit. You begin to move into God's presence. And when you're in this presence, this is the area where Jesus moved from our Father, hallowed be your name. Now your kingdom come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So now is the time to begin to really pray. And so during this time, you can pray in tongues, which is always really powerful. 
But this is also a good time to move in those that are watchmen to pray over that. But I would say pray for your family, you know, your spouse, children, extended family. And let me say this. Nobody will care about your kids like you do. And if you're not praying for your family, who is? You know, there's an element of responsibility here. As I talked about Tuesday night, the priest had those shoulder pieces that went down to the breastplate over their heart. Shoulder always represents a responsibility that you carry. It's our responsibility as priest unto God to, to have the people of God and, and, and a burden for souls and to be an intercessor to really pray for people. And that's why Samuel said in 1 Samuel twelve twenty three, Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I, I will teach you the good way and the right way. So he's saying uh, it's a sin against God to not really pray like I should for you. Listen, we have people in our lives that really depend on our prayers. So really begin to pray for your family and then move into praying for your church. If you're not praying for your church, who is? Other churches? So, I mean, it's, it requires that we take up the responsibility to pray for your pastors. And I mean, this last week it may have to do with preaching this sermon, but I had about three days of horrible warfare. And I was thankful for the people that are praying for me. But pray for your pastor, pray for the leaders, pray for faithfulness in God's people. Faithfulness in their attendance, faithfulness in, in giving, faithfulness. Also pray for the harvest. If we're not praying for our harvest, who is? And begin to pray for our nation. Praying for our city, state, national. I kind of lump that all together when I pray that God raise up the right people. In, in 1 Timothy, wherever it was, Paul said, when, we, when you gather together, first off, pray for those rulers and kings and those in authority, that we can live peaceful lives and godliness. So we need to really pray that God raise up the right people in power, that by them being there, it will bring him glory and bring down the wicked and gather the nations into his purposes. Pour out his spirit, bring in the harvest. Pray for spiritual leaders, pray for the, the greater harvest. You know, I think about, and this is just my opinion, but there was what I was talking about earlier, about the old and the new. There was a time, especially in spirit-filled churches, where there was always intercessors. I mean, in every church, there were powerful intercessors and people that would come up and even pray during the week. And these powerful prayer warriors and intercessors would gather and even when the church came together, there was prayer. And I believe that they, they were walking in something that restrained the enemy. And over the last couple decades, those, is, those of us that's been around very long know for a fact this has been happening. But a lot of churches have been getting away from these things. And now, what do you see in America? It, this is a fact. I'm not trying to be discouraging. But it's a fact that one of the fastest growing religions in America is witchcraft. And there's been a rise of Satanism in America. I believe that it's connected. If the church will really get back to powerful prayer and fasting and holiness and, and really operate in their spiritual authority like we're supposed to, it restrains the darkness. And we can make a difference. It doesn't take a whole lot of people. If two or three are gathered in his name, he's in our midst and he'll do what we ask. You don't have to have the masses. You know, It doesn't have to be millions of people. 
But if everybody would do their part and people would begin to come together and really pray, it would make a huge difference in the church world and in our cities and then consequently in our nation. So we begin to really intercede. Spend time here. Pray in the Spirit. Let God put a burden on your heart. Be led by Him because there may be certain things that you really feel a burden to pray for. If you don't know how to pray, then pray in the Spirit like the Bible says. And let me just encourage everyone that praying in tongues is vital. Because the Bible says if you pray in an unknown tongue, the Bible says you edify yourself. And so that means to build up like strengthen yourself. But also in Jude, it says you build up your most holy faith. And so there's also uttering mysteries. You read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Listen, tongues is powerful. In Romans 8, we don't always know how to pray. So the Holy Spirit will pray through you. I mean, I've had many times where I didn't really know how to pray. I prayed what I knew to pray. And then I would just yield to the Holy Spirit, say, Lord, I don't know what else to pray, but you do. And I would feel a burden as I prayed in tongues. And then eventually that burden would lift because the Holy Spirit prayed through me the perfect will of God and it was done. So let God move you into that deep intercession. And let me add this too. There's a dimension of prayer and fasting in this as well. Fasting takes you into realms that nothing else will. There's actually promises connected to fasting that's connected to nothing else in the Bible. It's like a, if you would, like a pyramid, this lower level, and then you have another level, but the top level to access the highest places, you're going to have to bring into your life some fasting. And so I believe as God's people, Jesus Jesus said, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, if we're people that are living holy, and we're people that are faithful in our giving, and we're faithful to live holy and to pray, and then we add in fasting, I believe that it it makes tremendous power available. Listen, in James 5, it says in the Amplified Classic, the prayers of the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayers of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. We've got to believe that. When Daniel prayed in Daniel chapter 9, did he have hundreds and thousands of people there? No, it was Daniel. But it affected all of Israel. It affected Persia. It moved nations. It set things in motion for Cyrus to send back Ezra and Nehemiah. It it was so powerful. Listen, the prayers of the righteous. All right, then also, once you move from your kingdom come, will be done. Now you move into give us this day our daily bread. This is an area where we're praying about our own needs, but we got to be specific. Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So if you're needing something, be specific. The famous story that Dr. Cho uh, told, and let me say that even though I'm sure there have been many that teach along these lines because this is simply the Bible, okay, but the, the people that I learned this from personally was Dr. Cho and then Larry Lee's ministry. And God really used them in my life years ago. But Dr. Cho told a story one time where he was needing, because he lived in Korea, and he needed a bike to get where he was going. And so he was really praying about because it, it was a need. And, and whenever he was interceding about this, I need this, Lord, and he prayed. Nothing happened. He didn't get a bike. And so finally he was frustrated, and he said to the Lord, why have you not met this need? Because it says, and the Lord said, you're praying too general. 
what specifically, and he realized that I need, he needed to be specific. So he said, okay, I want this specific type of bike, and then he had it within a short amount of time. I think a lot of times God's looking for us to be a lot more specific than we are. But we need to hear from him sometimes. I'm not talking about a specific need per se, but sometimes we need to know specifically the strategy of how to pray. Because we look at certain things and we're thinking, well, we're here and it needs to be here, but how's it going to get there? And we can start reading into it all of our wonderful ideas which a lot of times, how many knows that our unsanctified ideas can cause nothing but problems? So we need to ask the Lord, how do I specifically pray about this situation? And God will give you prayers. I remember one time we were praying about something that was serious. And it, it actually would affect people's lives. However it went, it was a very, very serious need. And I was praying in tongues and the Holy Spirit told me to pray that God would send a torpedo out of left field. And he did, man. We prayed that. And let me tell you, God's torpedo showed up out of left field, out of nowhere. And when God's torpedo showed up, everything after that changed and nothing was ever the same. God fixed it. So God will, and you know, it's just a metaphor. But in the Bible, maybe the right way to say that is the arrow of the Lord showed up, right? God shot his arrow into the situation. So... Give us this day our daily bread that we pray for the will of God in our lives in our church attendance giving and being a witness God wants us to be. Believe it is God's will to prosper you, present your needs, and be tenacious. All right. Then we move from that. You notice that God has us praying for others first, and now we're getting to ourselves. Now, after that, this is a good time to start examining ourselves. In the section number five, Forgive us of our sins as we forgive everyone who sinned against us. So now we move into forgiveness. And listen, there's a scripture that says, if we walk in the light as he's in the light, then the blood of his son will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it requires us walking in the light. As we walk in the light, God will show us the things that are not right. And as we're in that light and God's showing us things, then we can repent and God will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we've got to have prayer lives where God is able to show us things. And so in this area about forgiveness, Mark eleven twenty five, when you stand praying, make sure you forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father in heaven may also forgive your sins. This shows us that, listen, you don't have to agree with people. In fact, there's people that I absolutely do not agree with whatsoever, but I forgive them. Doesn't mean that I'm going to be their best friend. Doesn't mean that they're going to be in the inner circle of my life. It doesn't mean that I trust them because I don't. But I love them and I forgive them. And I'll give you a good example about this. If someone came and said, Pastor, can I borrow $100? All right, you know. And then they say, I will pay it back in such and such time. And they don't. Then, you know, they ask forgiveness. You forgive the debt. But the next time they come and say, hey, pastor, can I borrow $100? It's like, no. I love you, but no. <laughs> so you've got to put up some healthy boundaries. How many knows that there's toxic people you do not need in your life? You don't eat a meal with them. You don't spend close times with them you don't share with them you certainly don't tell them anything you don't want them to repeat to everybody you put up healthy boundaries but forgiveness is a choice 
You let it go. You're not going to harbor unforgiveness and you're not going to become bitter. You forgive them, okay? And it says, if you will forgive others, then God will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, God won't forgive your sins. That's a scary scripture. I wonder how many people, I'm preaching here tonight in 2024, but beneath my feet, there's people in hell tonight. I wonder how many are there because they refuse to forgive. That's a sobering thought. It's not worth going to hell over. So this is important enough that Jesus decided to put it in your daily prayer life for you to examine yourself. So choose to forgive everybody that's wronged you. And I love going through the Ten Commandments here. And I pray this for me. I pray this for my family. As a pastor, I pray this for the church every day. I go through it. I say, Lord, if there's any idols, anything too important, anything alongside you, Lord, forgive us. We repent. Is there things in regards to dishonoring parents or, or dishonoring authority? Forgive us, Lord. We want to have a right attitude toward authority. And then you deal with these other things. Jesus said, if you have hatred in your heart, you've murdered. Lord, if we've had any hatred, if we've been unforgiving, Lord, forgive us of that. And he said, if you look with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Lord, if there's anybody looking with lust or struggling there sexually, forgive us, Lord. We repent. Then what? Lying and stealing. Is there any dishonesty? And then finally, covetousness and greed. Lord, if there's anything in our lives not right, we confess it, we repent. I tell you, it's powerful. When I pray this, I'm not just praying it for myself. As I said, family and church, I always feel that God is really honoring that. And it's powerful that we examine ourselves and make sure. And just as a personal note, every morning and every evening, the priest would pray. This is like, for me, this is my morning time. It's much more extensive But before I go to bed at night, my wife and I always pray together. And I refuse to go to bed at night and close my eyes unless I have prayed. You can ask my wife and make sure that I have forgiven everybody. And I have confessed anything before God that's not right. I refuse to go to sleep until I've done that. And I think that's a way we should all live. That we refuse to go to bed until we've made sure we're forgiven. We've forgiven everybody and we've confessed any sin. And make sure that you're right with God. If we did that every day, how much different would our lives be? And also, now we can pray, Lord, give us the grace to live a holy, righteous life before you. To walk in the love of Christ and the fruit of the Spirit. But to walk in holiness and purity before you in Jesus' name. It's a powerful prayer. And then we move from that section number 5 to section number 6. And this is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God doesn't lead you into temptation, the devil does, right? What that means is that, is that God's going to give us the grace to not get sucked into temptation. But he's going to deliver us from the evil one. And so again, you can pray, this is dovetailing from the other, but God giving you the grace to live a holy, blameless life above reproach, avoiding the appearance of evil, a grace to live right. And this is a good time to put on the armor of God. Amen. And so I always go from the head down. It may not be in order of the scripture, but I always put the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, shield of faith up, the sword of the spirit, the shoes of peace. But I'm telling you that the armor's real. You don't see it, but angels and demons see it. And I think there's a lot of uh, streaking Christians that are out there running around naked in the spirit realm. 
And they wonder why things are so hard. They get hit in the head with some attack of the devil and other things, and it's too rough on them. Put on your armor, quit running around naked spiritually. And then the interesting thing is this. Not only the armor we're used to, the six pieces, but there's actually a seventh piece of the armor. Did you know that? It is pray in the Spirit on all occasions. See, a lot of people stop there. They put on the helmet. They put on the breastplate and all of that. But they don't realize the seventh piece is to pray in the Spirit on all occasions. So, put on the armor. And then I always pray that there's like a hedge of protection, Zechariah 2.5, be about us as a wall of fire and a glory in our midst. The hedge of protection around you and your family. Listen, how many want a hedge of protection around you and your family? I'll give you an example. I told this not too long ago. But there was a, a, a little season there where my wife, maybe about six weeks, two months, maybe, where we were, she was going through some spiritual warfare, but she was coming home every day from driving back and forth to work with some crazy story about a near-death experience. And I thought, well, the first time I thought, well, you know, praise God that you're okay. And then the second time I was like, well, that's kind of quite a coincidence. And then the third, fourth, and it just kept going. I was thinking, the devil's trying to hurt you, man. And so we started really praying about this. And you know what? Did you know that she had several? I'll just give you a couple a couple of them. There was a guy pulled a gun next to her. There was another, driving down the road, there was another time a semi had a wreck and jackknife right in front of her and was sliding to a stop in front of her. There was another time somebody almost rear-ended her and somebody else, another time almost ran her clean off the road. So, I mean, it was like just something was trying to cause some type of catastrophe to her. And trust me, if I went through the whole thing and told you everything that happened, as I'm just saying it in passing, you would sit there and go, yeah, that's, that's, there's no way that's just a coincidence. There was way too much over like a several-week period of time. But you know what? She was fine. Nothing ever happened because we pray. We bring our lives under the blood of Jesus and there's a hedge of protection. It's as though a wall of fire is around us, a glory in our midst. And the Bible promises this, if you want to write some of these things down, that the angel of the Lord encamps around those that fear the Lord to deliver them. So there's powerful scriptures that promise that the angels will accompany you in all your ways, shield and protect and bear you up in their hands, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And they'll minister unto you as an heir of salvation. So I pray every day for a hedge of protection, for angels to be around us. I quote scripture out loud. And then I recommend that you memorize Psalm 91 and that you speak it out loud over your family every day. I I speak it every day. He that dwells in the secret place abides under the shadow of the Almighty. And I could go through the whole thing. There's a few other scriptures I add in there from other sources, but Psalm 91 there was some story years ago about a platoon and a military platoon that they were in battle and many others were around them and there was somebody among them that was a Christian and every day he would read Psalm 91 over their group and it came out later that they were the only group that was actually had some kind of supernatural protection where they survived what was going on around them. And they attributed it to somebody that was a Christian that was speaking Psalm 91 every day over their group, speaking it out by faith. And it brought protection. So the Word of God brings protection, doesn't it? It's a powerful, it's a weapon. I mean, it's a sword that God's given us. And so 
we go, I take time, but lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. I take time on that. I'm believing for great protection over my family, over the church. And then finally, you close out with praise. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And this is where you make faith declarations, where you're praising God, you're thanking God for the victory, you're, you're blessing Him, you're, you're quoting the word of God out loud in a way of praise and worship. And close this thing out. Lord, I thank you for hearing and answering every prayer. I believe it to be done. Your angels are on assignment. The Holy Spirit is moving. Your purposes are going forth. It is done in Jesus' name. And it's like faith. That's why it's so important. I'm teaching on faith. But listen, you're not going to see things unless you have faith. And we've got to have faith. We pray, but we pray with faith. These last couple weeks, these sermons were rooted in the fact that God gave me a dream. And sometimes he'll speak to me that way every once in a while. And in this dream, I was speaking on faith. And I saw somebody I really thought knew about faith, but they looked so confused. But the more that I kept preaching and preaching and preaching on it, the more I could tell that their countenance changed. And they're like, oh, I get it now, you know. And so, listen, I'm going to keep preaching on faith. But the last two or three weeks, those sermons are getting down in your spirit and producing real faith. And let me tell you, whenever you're praying daily like this, this is your daily prayer life laid out. If you'll use this scriptural pattern, when I get done praying this way, I feel the only way I can describe it is it's like satisfied and full and like I accomplished everything I was supposed to in prayer. It's thorough and I feel that it really accomplished something every day when I pray this way that it's really powerful. So let God use you to be a prayer warrior. Your family needs it. And you know, this is something God's laid on my heart that we're compiling a Bible and, and I'm believing God to finish all this and it's definitely going uh, very well. But my heart is to leave a legacy and this Bible is going to have so much material out of our ministry that I promise you that it's going to be different than any other Bible. In fact, we're going to call it like a discipleship Bible. And in this, we're going to have things like this outline will actually be at the beginning of the Bible. And it's going to have other things in it as well. But people are going to be able to have so much in one location of that Bible that they can use to pass something from their life to their children and grandchildren. Not just the Bible, but the information that they're going to have in that. And listen, this is something you need to teach your kids. I taught this to Brianna years ago. She'll tell you. And we, we prayed together, and I kind of walked her through it, and I taught her how to pray. And there was always an attitude when, we were, when she was growing up in our family, when Sandy and I married, there was always an attitude of, well, you just spend some time in prayer every day. That's just what you do. I mean, it's like you brush your teeth. It's just what you do. You know, I mean, and I, I had a prayer life and I expected that she would. I expected Brianna would. And as she got older and I taught her how to pray, she began to pray. But it's really encouraging now because she's grown and her and Stephen are married, have kids. And I hear them all the time saying, well, you know, uh, he or she, they're having their prayer time right now. It's just what you do. You have a prayer time. You have kids, but you juggle that. So she's babysitting while he's having his prayer time or vice versa, right? You work it out, but you don't put God last. If you've got time to watch TV, don't, don't ever go to God and say, well, I didn't have time to pray because I'm going to tell you something. God's going to go, well, I saw you watching your TV show. You had time for that. 
So listen, you make time for what's important to you. And what we need to do is when we wake up in the morning, the first thing on our mind needs to be the Lord Jesus Christ and that we spend some time with him. Amen. It doesn't need to be anything else. I used to hear Steve Hill say that, and now I can appreciate it much more. But he used to say at Brownsville, he'd say, if the first thing that you wake up in the morning is not Jesus on your mind, Jesus through the day, and Jesus when you go to bed at night, he said, there's something wrong. And I have found that the first thing on somebody's mind when they wake up and the first thing on their mind when they're going to bed at night is probably their God, whatever that is. Hello? So, I'll just drop that there and leave it. So let's uh, let's just pray. <laughs> yeah, one, one person was saying, uh, I don't think that this individual mind me saying this. They don't, they don't go here or anything, but they were telling me that Somebody they know was like, man, I love Pastor Scott, but there's something I don't like about him. And they said, well, what is it? He said, every time he preaches, he said, he calls me out, man. He gets me every time. So listen, we need conviction of the Holy Ghost, amen. If the Holy Spirit's getting you, then you need to be gotten. And I used to love that too, because I would go in, in powerful revival meetings in the 90s, and I always felt like I need to go get saved, and I knew that I was saved. I'm telling you at Brownsville, man, those altar calls, you, you went down. I got saved every time I went. Every altar call is getting saved again. And it, you know what? What would happen if that was happening in every church this week? That the fear of God was so intense that people were either repenting and getting saved or if they were total hypocrites, tares among the wheat, they would just go. But what would happen if God really could clean house like that? I tell you what, revival would really begin to break out, wouldn't it? And so let's get back to that type of preaching that, that convicts and gets us right with God. Amen. All right, so Lord, I thank you for your word tonight. Help us, Lord. I'm going to pray with everybody tonight, and God's going to anoint you to go deeper in prayer. And Lord, I thank you tonight for an impartation of the anointing, Lord, a revival fire, Lord, that's going to put in people a burning desire, a fire in them that draws them into prayer, into powerful worship, into the word of God, a desperate hunger for God. If you don't have that, ask him for it. He'll give it to you. Lord, put in us a desperate hunger for God, that we love what you love and hate what you hate. We have godly desires, or that we will um, have a desperate hunger to, to know the word and learn the word and get in prayer. And we long for your presence and to be with you, Lord. Lord, take away the desires, the lust of the flesh and, and, and the pride of life and, and the lust of the eyes and, and this worldliness. Take away those ungodly desires out of us and put in us, Lord, a desire for God and the things of God that's eternal. Lord, we thank you for it. And this will be accomplished in prayer. Pray for your loved ones because if you're not, nobody else may be. Earnestly pray for them. Pray for your nation. Pray for your church. It's our responsibility that we do it. And Lord, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.